0: This is PRMC On Point with Dr. Bob Joyner in three, two, hi, and welcome to this special COVID-19 edition of PRMC On Point. I'm Roger Fallabout, Director of Strategic Communications at Peninsula Regional Medical Center and across the Peninsula Regional Health System. On the program today, we have Dr. Bob Joyner, who is the Director of the Richard A. Henson Research Institute at Peninsula Regional Medical Center. Hi, Bob. Welcome to the show.
1: Roger, thank you for having
0: me. It is great to have you here. First question I ask everyone in these times of COVID-19 is, how you doing?
1: So when I was working as a respiratory therapist at PRMC, I learned a saying from the Eastern Shore many years ago, and that saying is, good as conditions allow. <laughs> so I'm doing okay. Uh, I'm working hard and uh, answering more emails than I ever envisioned answering.
0: I think you said you're 80% at home.
1: I'm um, about 80% at home and 20% at PRMC. Uh, the nice thing about my job is I spend a lot of time writing and I can do that writing at home. I can do phone calls from home and Webex conversations from home. Um, but when there's patients involved, you have to go to the hospital.
0: It is absolutely ridiculous how busy we have become though, right?
1: Yeah, uh, absolutely. Absolutely. It's an interesting aspect of this COVID-19 response.
0: Bob, you mentioned in your response that you were a respiratory therapist. So how did you get involved in the research end of things, or has that always been in your DNA?
1: So a respiratory therapist is a person who spends a lot of time with uh, severely ill patients. They spend a lot of time in intensive care. I uh, worked across the eastern side of the nation. I was trained here at Salisbury University. Um, My first job was at Peninsula Regional, but... Um, I quickly migrated to New Orleans and worked at uh, Tulane University Hospital for a while um, and went to Dartmouth-Hitchcock in New Hampshire. I worked in Boston for a while. And in each one of those places, I worked in intensive care. The reason that's important is because we don't know everything in regards to working with patients who are severely ill. So it's natural to ask questions and to want to do better for the patients. So I think part of being a respiratory therapist is an interest in research. Um, So that's been part of me for my entire career.
0: And you came here from SU.
1: I did. Um, So Salisbury University has the only baccalaureate respiratory care program in the state of Maryland. That was true then. It's still true today. Um, When I graduated, I pretty quickly understood that I wanted to go back to school. The question was whether to become a physician or um, be, ha- get a PhD. Um, I chose to get a PhD because I think there's a reason to have well-qualified people at the bedside. Physicians work with information that they receive from the people who are working at the bedside. If that information is good, they make the decisions. If that information is not so good, they still make decisions.
0: Bob, one of the things I know about you is that you're a pretty smart guy, and you've been involved in a new project that is really unique, and I think it's very cool, too. It involves the creation of a dashboard that clinicians across the state of Maryland can look at. It's easy, quick, clean information about the number of available ventilators at Maryland hospitals. Tell me about that.
1: So one of the questions that came up early in COVID, if you remember from the news, was whether or not we had enough mechanical ventilators available. What should have been added to that is, do we have enough people to take care of all those ventilators? Nonetheless, it was a question about machinery. Um, So the machinery itself is a resource, and understanding how much of that resource we have available uh, became important to me as a respiratory therapist. So I got involved with the Maryland DC Society for Respiratory Care and started um, uh, talking to hospitals at whether or not they would participate in a dashboard That would let us know how many uh, ventilators they were using and how many ventilators they had in reserve. So we built a dashboard with the ESRGC. So that's the Eastern Shore Cooperative, um, Eastern Shore Regional um, Graphical Information Systems Cooperative. Um, It's a local uh, uh, effort, research effort through Salisbury University, um, and they've done a terrific job with that. Um, if I can say one more thing about Please it, go ahead. it's actually divided, uh, the state is divided up into pieces, and so the information that's available tells you about the eastern shore, or the center of the state, or the western part of the state, and the District of Columbia is also included.
0: I want to talk a bit about remdesivir, Bob. Dennis Killian, Dr. Killian, who is our vice president of clinical operations, was on the program not that long ago and we were discussing it as one of the possible drugs that can help with COVID-19. From a research perspective, what's your opinion?
1: So that's probably the hardest question that you're going to ask me. It is, I'm glad I got it <laughs> out of <the> way early. <laughs> it is difficult to give an opinion from a research point of view because the studies uh, uh, are either not sufficient or not yet been published. Uh, The the studies that are out there today um, deal with a small group of people. They have both positive results and negative results. And then um, Dr. Fossey mentioned the other day uh, that he has a study that's running through his office with a larger number of people. um, And he believes that that study is producing very positive data. The problem with that is that he hasn't published the paper yet. We haven't seen the data. Um, it's not peer reviewed yet. And I'm not questioning it. I'm just saying it's just not available to us yet. Sure. With that being said, the drug is becoming available um, through the federal government for use by hospitals. That process is not in place yet, but hopefully it will be in place soon um, so that we can provide that in our arsenal for um, working with patients with COVID-19.
0: When it's available to us, who determines who gets that? I mean, how do, we, how do we determine if it's patient X or patient Y? So it will come with some
1: criteria that would be used to determine whether or not the patient was, uh, may benefit from the drug. That criteria would be developed uh, likely right this second by the federal government, maybe the FDA and including the company that makes from Desivir Gilead, um, and the physicians would use that criteria to decide who to give it to.
0: Got it. Uh, Another thing I want to talk to you about is convalescent plasma. Yes. And we have this relationship with the Mayo Clinic. Tell me how that all works.
1: So the FDA and the Mayo Clinic have what is referred to as an expanded access program. And what that is, is that they are making convalescent plasma pathways available across the United States, including here on the Eastern Shore with the um, Delmarva Blood Bank or Blood Bank of Delmarva. Um, Those... uh, the patients who have recovered from COVID-19 uh, have antibodies in their plasma. Those antibodies are against the virus, um, SARS-CoV-2, and the, the desire is to take those antibodies from the person who has recovered and give those antibodies to a person who is sick. Uh, we are now a registered site through the Mayo Clinic. We have registered um, physicians who are uh, enabled to order that. We have specific criteria that we um, are using to apply those to uh, give that medicine to patients or the plasma to patients. Um, And we're also required to do follow up with the Mayo Clinic so that we can understand whether this uh, effort uh, giving the plasma actually works. It should be known that this is still a research effort. Um, It's not something that's guaranteed. Um, In the past, there have been a few diseases that this has worked for. Um, There have been diseases that it hasn't worked for. Uh, um, Ebola is an example of a disease that this effort doesn't work for. um, And other uh, SARS was a place where it did work. So we don't know. We have to track it.
0: All things considered, when you look at the big picture of COVID, we really do have a small number of positive patients that come through Peninsula Regional Medical Center. Are we a viable site for this? So we're
1: a viable site for this. Um, there are research efforts that we are not necessarily a viable site for. Um, you mentioned remdesivir before, uh, we tried for a number of weeks to become part of one of remdesivir's trials. Um, while we do have a research infrastructure, our infrastructure does not look like a research one institution like Johns Hopkins. Um, Gilead in the beginning chose to work with those larger centers. There's more patients there. They have more research infrastructure. But now these drugs are becoming available to us because we have some research structure. Um, but also because we have experience in the patients. Uh,
0: let me turn the corner. I want to get back to talking. Cause I want to get back to talking about research. Um, Not everything going on at the Henson Research Institute is COVID. There's a lot of great things going on and a lot of studies underway, including some really good things happening in the cardiac world. So if you could take a couple of minutes, Bob, and just tell us some of the great things that you guys are doing over there at the Research Institute uh, for all of us. Sure.
1: So the research efforts through the Richard A. Henson Research Institute should be thought of as being broken up into a portfolio. And that portfolio um, is broken into innovative oncology, which is where research at PRMC started. Uh, we do oncology research. We support the cancer center. Um, the cancer center has an accreditation that allows us to maintain that research effort. We also have an advanced therapeutics uh, section. That's part of what you're talking about. Is the cardiology piece? Um, by and large, uh, advanced therapeutics. Right the second is Uh, from our onboarding of Delmarva Heart um, and Dr. Uh, Steve Hearn, his efforts. um, We now assist that effort uh, through the hospital and it's been uh, a a really great relationship to have uh, moving forward. Um, We have, uh, if I remember correctly, something like 16 cardiac trials running, which is fantastic Um, in regards to that. He has a, a very terrific staff that came on board with those efforts. And then we have a public health effort uh, through uh, um, um, probably uh, the person that's connected to that most is Kathy Mm Fidler. And um, uh, we work with the Johns Hopkins Clinical Research Network uh, to bring research from Johns Hopkins, some of that being public health, some of that being other pieces, um, so that the people of the Eastern Shore can benefit from that research and not have to go to the Western Shore to get it.
0: When people think about hospital care, I think one of the things they probably don't consider is the research arm. But your team is really involved in just about everything that is good clinically in our organization because you are the guys that are finding out what works, what's best for the patient. So talk to me a a bit about how important it is for for everyone to understand that that research is a key component uh, at any organization, but in particular in a healthcare organization. So um,
1: the effort that you're talking about, I would refer to as evidence-based medicine. It's the idea that there's actually um, some understanding of how a particular drug or a particular strategy will benefit a patient. The, the nice thing about evidence-based medicine, when you have evidence, is that you can make clear-cut decisions. The downside is, is that evidence-based medicine is probably 40 or 50 years old, um, which may sound like a long time, but in regards to medicine, it's not. So, I view the Research Institute as something that supports clinicians, the physicians, the nurse practitioners, the physician assistants, in the decisions that they have to make. We provide them with as much information as we can that is evidence-based. Some of the decisions they have to make don't have evidence behind them, uh, yet they still have to make decisions. So, I think of this as a team effort. We provide the evidence, they provide the
0: decisions. Get you out of here on this question. From a scientific standpoint, and you are a respiratory therapist, as we have already uh, mentioned a couple of times in the program, COVID is, for the most part, a respiratory disease. In your opinion, how do we claw our way out of this thing? When does it come to an end, and how does it come to an end?
1: Wow, isn't that the million-dollar question? Isn't it? So social distancing works. Shelter-in-place works. The problem is, is it's not sustainable, and we can already see... Um, sort of cracks in society in regards to wanting to break out of the social distancing. Um, Some of that is social based. People wanna be able to see their families again. They wanna be able to see their friends again. Um, But a part of that is also uh, interfering with people's livelihoods. And it's understandable. They wanna be able to go back to work. Uh, There's satisfaction um, and purpose in work and people wanna be able to do that. Patience is required. And that's, unfortunately, probably the most expensive commodity that we have is uh, people being able to be patient. Um, um, And it's going to take a little while, you know, and there are things that there isn't a switch here. It's not going to go away instantly. um, And it is likely something that we're going to have to learn how to live with, um, not necessarily social distancing, but the virus itself for an extended period of time. Uh, There are other examples of that in history. It certainly happened in 1917 with the Spanish flu. It certainly happened with the polio epidemic um, uh, and uh, other diseases like that. We survived those. We'll survive this.
0: Dr. Bob Jordan, thanks for being on the program today.
1: Thank you for having me. Good to
0: have you with us. And that'll do it for this edition of PRMC On Point. If you're looking for information on COVID, local information, you can always check out our website, peninsula.org. We have a great section there that deals specifically with COVID-19. On the federal end, across the United States, certainly check out the CDC's website. That's cdc.gov terrific information there that is constantly updated. And if you have questions or concerns, we hope that you'll give us a call on our COVID-19 hotline that we are operating with the Wicomico County Health Department, 410-912-6889. Again, it's 410-912-6889. For Dr. Bob Joyner, I'm Roger. Thanks for watching this edition of PRMC On Point.